It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products and organic remedies for a variety of ailments at Smoky Mountain Organics, four locations to serve you, including that location in Knoxville, right across from Trader Joe's on Kingston Pike, or you can always shop online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. With Austin Price and Eric Kane, I'm Brent Hubbs talking Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. We'll get you caught up to date on basketball with Rob Lewis a little bit later in the podcast, but let's talk a little football. The Vols are here. Purdue is here. The first question, guys, out of the gate is, Everybody going to be able to play this game. We're seeing cancellations across the country. Purdue's a little bit depleted, Eric. You had that note on the message board on Monday, and there's a lot of talk out of the Purdue camp about the number of guys they have out that are non-COVID related at all. So they don't really need any other injuries. When you look at this roster, this is not the Purdue team that you've seen during the regular season. Yeah, they, uh, they, they can't afford any more you know uh, bodies to be missing, quite frankly, especially at wide receiver. You've got... David Bell, of course, is the opt-out, and he's the Big Ten Receiver of the Year, a phenomenal talent. Milton Wright, their number two receiver, is not going to be playing. Yassim Abdur-Rahmin uh, is not going to be playing. Brock Thompson, thank you. Brock Thompson, who has been injured pretty much the entire season, he's going to try to play. But, I mean, you're looking at three brand-new receivers, essentially, uh, for Purdue, and this is a team that can't run the football. And so they're, they're going to throw the football and do what they do. So um, that is going to be, of course, it's always in this era of sports. you got to watch out for COVID, but – this week in particular, especially at that position for Purdue because they're already shorthanded. It feels like this is just a really nice matchup for, for Tennessee, Austin. When, when, when you, and I don't want to – you don't want to assume anything because you never know how the rust, you turn it over, all the things that can plague you in a bowl game. But all those receivers being out, left tackles doubtful to play for Purdue at this point, plus their best pass rusher on defense is out. Started, starting cornerback is out. Yeah, starting corners. I mean, Tennessee seems to be catching Purdue really well, given the fact that it feels like Tennessee wants to be here. This has the makings, if Tennessee gets off to a good start, of a, of a thrashing. But if you let a team like Purdue hang around, all of a sudden that can change. So, like, to me, like, the first – really the first quarter, first half of this football game was going to really tell the tale in my estimation, uh, of, of how this game goes. Yeah, I don't think there's – and, of course, we all know that Tennessee has been a terrific first-quarter football team when you look at it and the number of things that Tennessee has done in terms of how they've outscored. It's like, what, 169 to 44 yeah. or something crazy like that. I mean, Tennessee has been great out of the gates. Can they do that again um, against a Purdue team that's not seen tempo – and that's where Tennessee's advantage has been, as you play fast. And it will close. be in this game. I would think so, because Purdue's not played anybody that's played remotely this kind of tempo at all. I mean, they may be the fastest playing team in the Big Ten, and they're not an up-tempo team like Tennessee's going to be. Again, seems like another favorable advantage for Tennessee. Well, 100%. And, again, it's all about building momentum, sustaining momentum if you're Tennessee, but building it towards the offseason and next year. Hubs, you and I talked about this when we were going to the grocery store here in Nashville on Sunday, just from the standpoint of, like, this has the chance to be kind of like the um, the Tax Bowl was when Tennessee beat Iowa 
a chance to kind of build momentum. You've got the quarter, your quarterback coming back. You've got several key pieces to next year's team coming back um, and can build upon that. So, you know, if you go out there and you, again, do what you're capable of doing, play the way you want to play, then Tennessee, you know, should win this game uh, rather easily. Again, if Tennessee plays its A game and Purdue in its current state plays its A game, it's still a two-touchdown Tennessee win. I uh, had a chance to catch up with some of the uh, the guys that were gold and black at the rival side with Purdue. And the talk with Jeff Braun this past week, <clears throat> excuse me, and leading up to this bowl game has been, of course, the tempo and, and surviving that first quarter. Tennessee leads, as you were talking about, Brent, Tennessee has the, the biggest first quarter margin, you know, scoring margin in the country uh, at, like, you know, about 14.2 points per quarter. And uh, – Tennessee's held a lead in every single game this season, and that, that's in large part because you get out to early leads. So, it's remarkable in a lot of ways. Though. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean like, you, you, you led against Alabama. You led against Georgia. You led against everybody. And so from a Purdue standpoint, it's not like they're throwing in the towel. It's just saying, can we survive that first sequence of, of uh, a spars, really? And if so, <clears throat> where do you stand moving past that? And so you know, Tennessee's done it this entire, this entire season, and if Tennessee gets up by a couple of scores in that first quarter – with as shorthanded as Purdue is, this has the making to be around. The second quarter, though, for as good as the first quarter is, the second quarter is really bizarre when you look at Tennessee. I'm going to steal a little bit of what I've got in 10 things, I think, I think coming up on Wednesday. But for as great as Tennessee's been in the first quarter, they've been outscored in the second quarter 127 to 109. Here's the more puzzling thing to me. In the second quarter offensively, Tennessee is only converting 28% of their third downs, while defensively they're giving up 48%. In five games, they failed to convert a third down in the second quarter. The other three quarters combined, seven zeros total in terms of seven quarters where they've had a failed third down for the, other, for the rest of the quarters of the entire year. Why is this team, this offense, this offense that scores 35 points against some teams in the first quarter, they've led, they've got out of the gates, they've led in 10 of 12 for, at the end of the first quarter in 10 of 12 games. Why has this team offensively hit a, hit a roadblock in the second quarter? Don't you think it's because teams are able to adjust and then Tennessee readjusts at halftime? Is that what it is? Is it simply yeah, I mean, just catching up to the tempo? That, that's what I think That's how I would venture to go. You know, Tennessee comes out with almost such a script that first couple of series that – you know, boom, boom, boom. Well, time everybody else has their normal series where you run normal clock and not, you know, 46 seconds like Tennessee has a tendency to do. You know, you're near the end of the first quarter. So then you, you know, teams adjust, same quarter, then Tennessee goes in at halftime, readjusts. That, that's how I would look at it. That's what it, it looks like because their third quarter numbers are solid. I mean, now defensively, they're giving up 40, over 40% of their third downs. I don't make a huge mark out of that defensive number of 48%. But that 29% in the second quarter is like way down compared to, to compared to other quarters for this team offensively. I feel like it should never be that bad. It, it should never be that big of a disparity. But I do think a lot a lot of it is what Austin said. I mean, teams, they get punched in the mouth, and then they, they see it. They've adjusted to the tempo. They know what to expect, and they're kind of better out of the gate. But how many times in years past have we talked about how Tennessee's been so slow out of the gate in the first quarter at a halftime? It's kind of been completely opposite with this year's team. And that, at least on this 180 side of it, I mean, it's given you a chance to, to pick up a lead and have control of the game. Well, and it's, I mean, it's created a team that's fun to watch. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, it, you know, everybody, you better be in your seat before opening kickoff because Tennessee's doing something fast on offense all season long, which has been certainly appealing to every Tennessee fan out there but because of the way that they have, have played. Uh, this is not your typical Purdue team. Um, 
you know, in terms of style of play, they're not a typical Big Ten team. Okay, they're going to throw it. Obviously, they struggle to run it. They're going to throw it a whole lot. They are depleted at receiver. They're, they have some issues there. Tennessee is a little bit unsettled at corner with Elante Taylor being out. Is this going to be a branded turnage deal? I mean, I know they're going to go by committee. Is this Haddon to start? You end up seeing more turnage when this game goes on? Or is this Haddon going to get most of the work all, all the way? Do you think Rucker's a factor in there? We know Kenneth George is not going to play. Josh Heupel made it clear. I thought Austin on Sunday when he visited with the media, it is going to be by committee. What's this committee look like at corner opposite Warren Burrell? Yeah, I mean, I think it is Kamal Haddon to start, you know, and, and then Brandon Turnage after that. I mean, my thing is, and, and, and Heupel referenced this, like Tennessee has, you know, played several guys this yeah. year. When the, Warren Burrell was out for a minute, when Alante was out for a minute. Like, it's not like, you know, none of these guys have played. So I think there's a – even though they're not super experienced, they're also not just totally – inexperienced and raw being thrown out there in this weird bowl game. So um, I think that's why there's a, a comfort level knowing, hey, we don't have Alante, but, you know, we're not just throwing some kid that's never played out there. Kamal Haddon has one start this season. That was at Kentucky. Um, Warren Burrell did not play in that, that football game. Brandon Turnage has been playing, obviously, more inside. So you would assume that Kamal Haddon would be the, the one getting the first team reps and all that. But I expect to see them both. Deshaun Rucker, I mean, he's a true freshman. Of course, at this point of the season, you're not really a freshman anymore. But uh, I would expect to see more than just one, in my opinion, there at that spot. Crazy stat. Brandon Turnage has played one defensive snap in the month of November. One. That's crazy. He played 77 snaps against South Carolina. He's played 52 defensive snaps the rest of the year and only played one in the month of, of November. I, I didn't think he played that well against Alabama. Um, going back and watching it again, yeah, he, he got ran over a couple of times. But that's still hard to believe because he came on and played so well against Missouri, obviously, and was kind of having a little bit of a role. But then you saw Theo get healthier and healthier, and then just his reps went for an off. Uh, you know, you go back and watch the season. I thought Alante really had a really good year. He did. You know, and, and, and inconsistent. Well, and, and, you know, and in talking to, you know, a few people kind of in the off season, you know, um, that are no longer here, um, they thought Alante was poised to break out because there was a certain voice in the secondary, not named Derek Hansley, um, that, that, that just didn't mesh with Alante. Right. And so it was going to be uh, much easier for him to transition to a guy like Willie Martinez, and, and, and he did so really well. I mean, I think Alante is really good against the run. He's, he's big. I mean, Alante's a bigger corner compared to most. And... Uh, he always was. He always liked the physical style of play. So they'll well. miss that part of it because, as you said, Turnage is smaller. I mean, like he's not, you know, a, he's not nearly as as bulky and girthy as Alante. And is. same for Kamal Haddon. I mean, they're, yeah. they're not going to replace somebody with that kind of physicality. I think the thing that Alante did that's going to help his NFL stock more than anything this year. I think he had the reputation of being a physical guy who was not afraid to play at the line of scrimmage. Had a reputation of being a physical guy in coverage, which you need. But he always had those moments where the ball went over his head, mm -hmm. where he just kind of fell asleep. I thought this year, Eric, he was much more consistent from the standpoint of you didn't look up and go, wait a minute, why is that guy three yards behind a lot? What happened here? He bought on a fake. He did that. He was much more consistent in his mental toughness, I think. And I think that's something 
that's going to help his NFL stock as much as anything because he does not have he did not have those lulls this year under Willie Martinez. Yeah, I, mean, I would agree with that. And look how much uh, opposing teams, especially at the end of the year, were targeting Warren Burrell because they knew Alante Taylor was kind of locked in and he wasn't having those laps that we've seen in years past. And it's not to say that he was perfect. It's not to say that Tennessee's secondary was perfect. I thought safety play was so slow this year. Um, but no, I thought Alante was really, really solid. Um, I can think of a couple of plays off the top of my head throughout his career where you just see two just sprinting after the receiver because he, he let it behind him. That didn't happen hardly at all this year. And so, yeah, I think he, he made some money this year. He's given himself a chance and uh, obviously wanted to try to get healthy and, and perform well at this pro day and uh, at the Senior Bowl. Austin, we don't put too much stock in bowl practice because we don't see much of any. We saw 10 minutes on Sunday in Na- here in Nashville. and I don't put saw- much in stock in any practice we see. Like <laughs> right. Outside of like who's out there, right. those type of things. Right. Like, but, but I'm going to ask this question anyway, okay? So that there, maybe, there's not, maybe there's not an answer to this. Do you think that, that when, you, when you look at this, that, that Tyler Barron shows up more in this bowl game than, than we saw down the stretch because he's a little bit healthier? I was going to say, is he, is, he, is, he, is he feeling better? Because he was never healthy at all. Right. I mean, to, to me, he looked – and again, I don't want to put too much stock in 10 minutes because I think 10 minutes is overblown. But you got a left tackle for Purdue who's not going to play. Is, is this a game where Tyler Barron gets more – Opportunities and shows himself more. I think the key word there is opportunities. Like okay. you know, I, I, there were times where he was healthy. He just wasn't in the game. Um, they they felt more comfortable with Byron Young, which is really crazy. Yeah. You know, um, considering Byron Young got here and was a new addition, and Tyler Barron's been here. Um, I do think Tyler's motivated. This is his home city, so like this is a real chance to kind of show up in this game. I think any kid from Nashville, why would you not want to ball out? I mean, every, you know, all your friends locally, you know. Either could be at the game or could be watching because you know the game's right here in Nashville. So, um, you know, <laughs> he was joking with me on pra- on the practice field Sunday. You know, AP, didn't the air just smell so much better here? You know, <laughs> uh, and then reference, and then actually reference that there's more smog here. Um, but you know, point being is like, you know, he's motivated. I, I think he wants to end the year. He started the year really solid and then just kind of went away. Um, you know, how motivated is he to kind of finish this year up um, the right way? What players in this game that kind of disappeared reappear in this game, you know? Or do they just kind of stick with the guys that they've stuck with all year? You know, I mean, you've got some guys that haven't played down the back part of the stretch because they could redshirt and they still have one game left so they can play in this game. Do they reappear? I, I don't know. We'll see. Translation is Jimmy Callaway play. Yeah, is that, or, is that, is that Jimmy Callaway? I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean he's a guy makes the most sense. That you certainly look at. Again, we we know where their big three are. Christian at the, Charles as a receiver spot. We've seen Charles play more and more down the stretch. He's obviously not going to redshirt. So, how much do, does this kind of he get back to where he was early in the year? Um, and what kind of opportunities that does he present himself with? How in should we be impressed that this team wants to be here? Or do we think that should just be a given? Because it doesn't feel like across college football it is a given. Should, should we be – is this a credit to the culture and all these phrases that we talk about, credit to the leadership it of this team be. that they want to be here? It shouldn't be, but, I mean, I, th- I think it is, right? Because, I mean, you, you said it there. It's just, you know, bowl games don't mean an awful lot anymore, especially to some players. I mean, we're watching it 
those that are being played right now. <laughs> There's, of course, some being canceled. But you're seeing teams go out there, they're just not playing motivated, you know, players opting out for different reasons and all that. But, um, yeah, and so I think that, I mean, it just kind of goes back to all season long, and, and it should never be this way, but look at Florida this year, but even before Mullen was gone. Look at some of these past Tennessee teams uh, with Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt. You could tell that they didn't enjoy coming. I mean, you had players earlier this year, you know, have comments to the media about it. They didn't enjoy going to work every day. And the, and the fact that they do and they enjoy being there, I feel like you're, you're putting more into it. And as a result, sometimes you're getting better play. So it shouldn't be that case, but it is that case. So I, I think it obviously goes back to what Hypo is beginning to build here in Tennessee. Last question or last couple questions here. Player that you'll enjoy watching in this game that this team's going to miss that maybe it's not talked about a lot. Theo, Theo Jackson comes up, but he's been talked about a ton, okay? I mean, we, we know how much they're going to miss Theo Jackson. But are there some other kind of unsung guys here that, that, that maybe don't get? Or is this this the core of this group coming back is kind of who they are, and that's the that's the part that has got everybody excited? Yeah, I think the core of the group, yeah, that's the, pretty much it. I will go Matthew Bowler. I just think, you know, he's an older guy, you know. I mean, again, if you told me four years ago, that a team that was decimated the way they were uh, after last season had all the change and all the cloud of the NCAA investigation and all the defections to the portal and all that was going to see guys like Solon Page and uh, sixth-year Matt U. Butler and you know right on down the list Theo Jackson and and Jaquan Blakely and. And, and they were all going to factor on this team and, and make plays and get Tennessee to a bowl game when they were basically left for dead in the offseason, I would have told you you're crazy. But yet, here they are. And it shows when kids are allowed to kind of have a little time to develop and stick around and somebody kind of believes in them and doesn't beat them down, you know, thing, good things can happen. Let me ask it this way then. What should people appreciate about this team the most? Uh, just... You know the, the the want to the the, the strive the strain. Um, I, I, he kind of I'll kind of pick up on what AP was saying right there. I mean he he mentioned the name I was going to mention Jaquan Blakely. I mean he was a big part of this defense, and this is not a great defense. I'm not saying it is, but Jaquan Blakely was a key player in that front seven this year. Um, if you would have told me that he's not an All SEC player or anything, but if you would have told me that two years ago, I'd have said you're crazy. I mean he's one of the guys that's going to be gone that's been here forever. Um, that is never really talked about. We talk about Butler. We talk, we talk about Theo Jackson. And credit those guys for buying in, setting the standard for those Byron Youngs, you know, potentially, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tyler Barons, uh, you know, other, other players on that defense to kind of carry what they've kind of, that buy-in and that investment that they started for, you know, next year and, and, and years to come. But I think it's because of the buy-in from those guys like Theo Jackson and, and guys we're talking about. All right, Tennessee and Purdue kick it off in, in the um, Music City Bowl and finish this thing out. How big is it for Tennessee to win this game in terms of setting the tone moving forward? You mentioned what it was comparing it to, a little bit to that Tax Slayer Bowl. How big is it? How important is it to finish? It's a mid-level meaningless bowl game, but to me this is the biggest game in a long time because I, you build the momentum. You, if you win this game, you will finish 8-5. and five. You've got your quarterback back. Several key pieces. I think they go into the next season ranked at that point, and you know, 
it just builds momentum in recruiting. It builds momentum overall. So I, I, while it is a mid-level meaningless bowl game in the grand scheme of things, I think it is big for Josh Heupel to keep the upper trajectory as he pulls this thing from the abyss. Yeah, you, you, you said it best right there. I mean, it, it literally means nothing. If you lose, it means a whole lot more, too, because of how much Purdue is missing. So from that aspect, it's like, all right, you better go out and take care of business. But keep the good times rolling. Eight wins looks better than seven. Recruiting all the offseason in-state. Um, I, I think it's a big uh, game for those reasons. And, yeah, the, the momentum coming into next season. And just remember, Tennessee's not lost a bowl game since Nashville 2010. They're undefeated in bowl games since then. Let's turn our attention to basketball here. Rob Lewis, VolQuest.com is with us, and Tennessee is getting ready to take on Alabama. Uh, Rob, the first question is, where's Tennessee going to be from a health standpoint as they travel to Tuscaloosa? I know it's a moving, fluid situation. Rick Barnes is going to play regardless, right, if he's, if he's got enough bodies? That's pretty Rick, clear. Rick went all in on Monday in, in his interview, in post-Christmas interview, in that you know, I think he threw out the number like if we have seven or eight guys, we're going to play. You know, it's the right thing to do. People bought tickets. Uh, you know, we owe it to the fans. And then um, prior to Coach Barnes' interview, an athletic department staffer representative indicated that Tennessee had some uh, some guys didn't give a number, but it sounded like it was not not many, but were tested on Monday morning after they felt a little under the weather coming back from Christmas break. Went on to add that uh, they had plenty of guys to practice. Um, so that, that's pretty vague, but, you know, in this current climate, uh, you know, it's, it's worth throwing out there. And they hope to have test results back. Bob, we're recording this on Monday. They had hoped to have results back before practice on Monday and added that they would not be making daily announcements about the team's health status. So that's – all I can say is that it sounds like it's at least something worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, it's interesting what Tennessee's you know their plan is. If you're a if you're an unvaccinated player, you're tested on a regular basis. If you're a vaccinated player, you're only tested if you're if you're dealing with symptoms. And that's kind of the SEC across the board uh, policy that that seems to be taking place. And I think it's worth noting that Rick Barnes has been all in for several weeks, Rob, about playing. I mean, he you know if you got enough, this goes back to the Memphis situation. You got enough to play, even if they're walk-ons or, or whatever. Maybe they're not your best players, but if you've got enough to play, you need to show up and play. And so, uh, certainly feels like Tennessee going to be there to play in Tuscaloosa. We'll see, but it certainly feels that way. Let's talk about the Tide a little bit. They're a hard, a little bit of a hard team to figure out because you know they beat Gonzaga, they get beat by Memphis, and Davidson's a tough matchup and a, and a kind of a thrown together game, if you will. What what do you make of Alabama when you look at them on paper? Plus, having watched them play, what, what's your takeaway from the Tide? I mean, they're, they're a little bit like Tennessee. They could look like a million bucks one night, and then, you know, if the shots aren't falling, if they, if they catch a bad matchup, then uh, they can look really average. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a heavyweight game. I mean, and not, it's a little bit off track, but we're going to find out a lot about the SEC this, this first week. Tennessee plays at Alabama. LSU plays at Auburn. Kentucky plays at LSU next Tuesday. I mean, there's some there's some stuff that's going to be sorted out here early. But, I, I mean, I think this looks like a fun game. With the way Tennessee's been playing, if both these teams are hitting shots, I mean, you could be talking about a game that's in the 80s or the 90s. Two really good backcourts. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, both these teams are comfortable if they shoot, you know, 25, 30 threes a game. That's obviously what Alabama's done 
the last couple of years, it seems where Tennessee's comfortable at. I mean, nobody's going to pass up an open look for any team. It, it doesn't feel like, given the style of play, right? Yeah, and both teams are not – neither team is afraid to play fast. I mean, they're not worried about the pace. Uh, they want to get up and down. I think both teams are, are pretty good at pressuring the ball. Tennessee's has been really good on defense at, at times this year. I didn't look today to see how the Arizona game impacted, but Kim Palm – as before the Arizona game, Tennessee was the number one rated team and adjusted defense on you know with his advanced metrics. <clears throat> Alabama probably not in the same category, but, but but pretty good on that that end of the floor, especially like I said with the guards. Really, really, maybe the two best backcourts of the SEC. Let's talk a little bit about the Arizona game. We we didn't do a podcast. I know you and Ben broke it down after the game, but I, we haven't had a chance to really talk about it a little bit. When when you went back and kind of looked back over it, reviewed that game. How good was Tennessee defensively, particularly in that first half? I mean, how, well, the first how half, locked they, in were they? The first half was was phenomenal. I mean, against against what I think – I mean, I think Arizona's a good basketball team. I think mm-hmm. that was a really good win. Um, Might have been the best front line Tennessee's played. So, I, th- I thought the first half just did a great job of coming out and setting the tone and, and really – and frustrating a, a, a team that came in averaging 91 points a game. I mean, tops of the country. Um, you know, Arizona certainly got clicking – in, in the second half, but um, a couple of things that obviously John Fulkerson, I mean, you can't talk about that game without you know talking about his play. I mean, and there was nothing to suggest that was coming. He had whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, you gave a little props to him first of the week, talking about how good he looked on the practice floor. You're, I did that, you're, but you're not going to take the, any credit for that no, one. No, <laughs> I'm not going to take credit because I mean, I did say that on Monday, but I mean, there's you can, right. you can walk in that gym and you know, I've seen a lot of guys that look like the best player of the court, but I will. He did look good on Monday, last Monday. But the two previous games, I mean, two games before that, he had two points against UNC Greensboro. He had ten rebounds combined in the previous two games, and then he goes out and goes twenty-four and ten against what I think is probably the best front court Tennessee's played. I mean, they they were long, they were athletic, they brought size in off the bench, and um, I actually joked joked with Coach Bars about it in his. In his his, his Monday morning press conference that if he if he would have bet me Tennessee was going to out rebound Arizona, I would have lost a lot of money because that that is probably the biggest the most surprising stat and I think Tennessee probably had to at least hold their own there. They ended up they out out rebounded them forty to thirty eight, but Arizona came into that game with a plus twelve point five rebounding margin, and I, I really thought they had the potential to beat Tennessee up on the glass, and, and the Vols did not let it happen. That, that really jumped out to me. And they won a game when Kennedy Chandler went 2 of 14 from the floor. Yeah, so my question to you is this, and, and you know, I'm sure you don't have an answer to it, but I'm going to throw it out rhetorically anyway. How does Tennessee get that kind of consistency from Fulkerson? And, and, and I thought Kumwa was – I thought Olivier was really good just in some of the, the the scrappy kind of ugly stuff. I mean, it wasn't like a pretty game of offensive basketball, but he did all, a lot of dirty work for Tennessee in the post. How does Tennessee get that out of those two guys on a regular basis? Well, I mean, with Fulky, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about a six-year guy that he's – I mean, I think he just kind of is what he is. But, I mean, he went to that game averaging just a little over eight points a game. And uh, I, maybe that jump starts in – I don't know. But, I mean, he looked like the guy that went and dropped 27 points on Kentucky in Rupp Arena two years ago. And it, I mean, it, and they weren't empty numbers either. I mean, he scored seven points in the final four minutes of a tight game and was, you know, getting it, demanded the ball, getting it, converting, getting fouled. Um, just, I mean, it's 
beyond stating the obvious, but Tennessee's a much better team if, if John Fulkerson is playing like that. I mean, they're a formidable team. And as for Olivier, I think that was a really good lesson for what Rick is always telling him. I mean, beating, beating it into his head that you don't have to score to impact the game. I mean, he scored two points. He was one of five from the floor, and he, but he was impactful. I mean, he mixed it up. That was a high-level physical game, and he brought it. Uh, we have three or four block shots in the game, you know, hit the boards. Uh, I thought Tennessee was going to be really overmatched in the post in that game, and they weren't because of the way those two kids brought it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting to see Fulkerson down the stretch not shrink in the moment at all, but but instead, I mean, he, he was clearly like, throw me the ball, like give me the ball, which is, like you say, we saw that at Kentucky a couple of years ago, but but that's just not been his approach and his mentality. The question is, can he build off of that? And I'm not saying he's going to go for a double-double, 24 and 10 every night, but he's got to present himself and want the basketball more than, than what we see you know, in most nights. I mean, he, he's got to demand the basketball more, in my opinion, if this team's going to reach uh, its max level. You had an interesting note, I thought, in, in the war room on Friday. Everybody wants to know about Brandon and, and where Huntley Hatfield is. And I thought your note about just from a physicality game, maybe he wasn't ready for that one. And, and just because he didn't play a lot in that game doesn't mean there's a kind of a setback in his growth or development. Where, where do you think he is as they enter SEC play? Where's, where's the staff's confidence level in him, having him in a rotation in SEC play? Yeah, um, I was, was going to bring that up. Rick was asked about him Monday morning and, and talked about it and said, frankly, that Brandon had not had two, two good practices leading up to the Arizona game and that it wasn't the kind of game where you could throw him out there and see if he had it, you know, let him play through some things. And uh, then Rick went out of his way to praise him for the, you know, the mindset that he came back back with from from a brief Christmas break um, and noted and I and this goes on all the time I mean people that think kids you know Huntley Hatfield specifically or, or kids in general in this program if they're not playing they know why I mean they, they, they get sat down and they, they are very specifically told you know here, here's what you you've got to do to get more minutes so it's not a mystery it's not like they're getting lied to and misled and uh, I, th- I think you'll see Hatfield you know, he may, he may not play as much as fans want, but he's he's certainly a part of things going forward. And and hand in hand with that, I myself I've been critical of not you know not of Euros. Euros is a great kid, love him, but critical of him consistently getting minutes over half field. Flavius was good against Arizona. He gave Tennessee ten solid minutes, um, you know, had three or four rebounds, scored a bucket, and when he was on the floor in a game, Tennessee won by four points. Tennessee was plus five. Uh, that's probably his best numbers in, in in a tight game, right? I mean, I in, against so. the, against a high quality opponent. So, w- with that being said, Victor Bailey doesn't play. If, if this team is not in foul trouble, are we seeing that rotation get paired a little bit as you get into SEC play, or is that an overreach in, in terms of kind of where they are numbers wise? I, I mean, they did not have the foul trouble in the Arizona game, which was a huge benefit for them. Rick obviously played the guys who were playing the best that he felt most comfortable with. Is that the case if they can stay out of foul trouble, or do you think that the, the rotation is actually deeper than what he played against Arizona? I, at this point in the season, I just have a hard time thinking Yoroshi is going away. I mean, yeah. I, he's not going to play, you know, 12, 14 minutes, but I, I think he's going to play. Um, now, Victor Bailey, I think, is a different matter. He played one minute in that game against Arizona. Um, 
Justin Powell played 26. And more importantly to me, Justin Powell was on the on the floor at crunch time in the, in the final minutes of the game. He, he finished that game, um, which I, I thought spoke volumes. So that's what I think is seesaw in those minutes. I'll be really surprised if pa- you don't see Powell's minutes really start to creep up at, based off what we saw in that one. You know, I thought athletically Powell in the first half defensively was really good. I mean, I, I didn't think as a whole Tennessee was good in the second half defensively, but you know, my thing with Powell is, is can he defend the way Rick wants him to defend or is he kind of the assassin that comes off the bench when you're not shooting it real well? I, I thought defensively, Rob, he was as good in the first half as we've seen him, which is, to me, a big statement for him to getting those minutes from Victor Bailey. Well, that's that's Rick's question, too. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, and, and if, I mean, if Powell can defend, he's going to see his minutes go up. And I, I mean, I, I think he probably – I think that was probably a powerful lesson for him that, hey, wow, you know, coach told me if, if I held up on the defensive end, I was going to play, and I just played 26 minutes. So back to Kennedy Chandler here as we wrap it up. Did, did not have his best game. Is, is that just he didn't, have a, he didn't have a great game, no, no big deal? I mean, obviously he's going to be their point guard of record, but any concern? I guess expectations for him are through the roof, and so – that just a night where he was a freshman and Tennessee got away with him not not having a great night yeah, shooting I, I basketball. Think so. I, mean, I, I mean, I think, and he'll probably have other nights like that. But I think the biggest thing with him was he was missing some of those shots in the lane that that he normally hits. Those little, you know, those little floaters and you know, kind of kind of short jumpers that that are such a big part of his offensive game. And I don't know if he was rushing. I don't know if it was just you know the, the physicality kind of had him a little off. But but I wouldn't read too much in, into it. That kid. I don't. I don't worry about one one player on this team. I don't worry about is Kennedy Chandler. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I don't want to put make too much out of it. He just w- was not obviously on the offensive end. Was clearly not what we have seen out of him. All right. So as we wrap it up here, Tennessee wins at Alabama. How? I mean, they can't let Alabama go crazy from three point range. I mean, that's pretty basic. But you know that that's that's what they want to do. They're you know famous. They're either taking shots in the paint or they're taking three pointers. And I think. So I think being able to extend and stick with guys, not not let Alabama create separation, which you know will mean playing really good ball screen defense. Um, that that to me is is kind of where it starts, and and it, I, I like Tennessee's chances. Frankly, I mean, it's going to be a tough environment, but this team they are really good defensively. Defense travels, you know. Defense show you, you may not have a good shooting night in Coleman Coliseum. We've certainly seen that from guys wearing orange over the years, but uh, I think Tennessee would be locked in defensively. You know, it's the last couple of years, if I were critical of Tennessee's defense, I felt at times they were overhelping, which did not allow them to close out as well as they needed to on three-point shooters. This defense doesn't seem to be that way. Why, why is that the case? And, and, and is that an overreach statement as you head into the month of January? No, I, th- I, think, that they're, I think that the staff kind of would, would agree with you. I think it's kind of been an emphasis. Um, to to not to not leave guys, you know, and, and part of that is just knowing the scout. I mean, don't you do not leave this guy. And I think Tennessee has some veteran guards in, in Josiah and, and Santiago who are really good at taking the scout to to the game floor. And Josiah is really, man, Josiah is probably the best since Grant. I would say as far as communicating to other people when you're on the defensive end. I mean, he's a super smart kid. He knows where he's supposed to be. He knows where you're supposed to be. You know, he knows what your reaction is. He knows where your help is supposed to come from. And I, I think he does a really good job of being a floor general on that end of the floor. 
Yeah, and he was. I thought he was terrific against Arizona as well. Enough offense that you got to worry about him, and then defensively, he, he's been what he always is, and, and that's a really solid defender who plays complete de- team defense. So Tennessee and Alabama to get started in SEC play. We have full coverage for you coming up tomorrow night as the Vols open it up on the road in the league. As Rob mentions, interesting first week, week and a half in SEC play. That's going to do it for this edition of the Smoky Mountain Organics com podcast. For Rob Lewis, Austin Price, Eric Kane, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.